0: Hello, everyone, and welcome into another episode of the MLS Bench podcast. I am Joey. And today we have another special episode. I've been doing some interviews recently and, you know, in in light of the new uh, homegrown rules coming out approved by the MLS Board of Governors around the All-Star break and some of the details getting released recently. I thought I would have on an expert to talk about it. So I have on Matt Hartman. If you guys listen to the Scuff podcast, you heard Matt cover the youth national team setup, and most recently the CONCACAF U20 championships. And he's so knowledgeable on all this. So Matt, it's so great to have you. Thanks for doing this. How's it going?
1: Hey, it's going great, man. Thanks for having me on. Pleasure to be here.
0: Yeah, no, no problem. And I guess just so people kind of get where you're coming from, do you mind just like detailing kind of what you cover the age
1: groups and, you know, the leagues that you cover. So, you know, they have some point of reference. Uh, yeah. So in addition to watching the normal European and MLS soccer that everybody who listens to this podcast probably does, uh, I mostly keep up on, um, the U 15 and U 17 age groups, um, in, uh, the MLS, MLS next, uh, academy system, as well as some of the teams in ECNL with, uh, the point being to get a, a grasp on on who the national team guys are and and also who the top colleges should be recruiting out of any particular age group.
0: Yeah, and I, I think that kind of segues perfectly in what we're here to talk about, which is the new homegrown rules. And I was mentioning it before, would you call it an overhaul? Like, I, I guess, what's the scale of change? Baseline, of what is different from what we currently have?
1: Um, yeah so on, on from a pure rules standpoint there's a lot of differences right like the the current system is something akin to the wild west where you have like one sacrosanct rule which is these home these geogra- geographic territories and um every a team basically has absolute power for youth players in that territory um that is no longer the case there is now a much more uh a much longer rule set governing um player movement and how players can move in and out um, of homegrown territories and the teams that they play for but from a practical standpoint this does it it's not a big change these teams have been operating under um the opinion like they've been operating from a standpoint of that uh, rules are similar to this have been coming and uh for the majority of MLS teams, this isn't going to change their op their operations on a daily. Their that academies aren't going to change operationally very much um, outside of maybe taking a trip or two to a city every once in a while that they previously wouldn't have gone to.
0: Yeah, and I guess right now I'll just hit on the specifics and we can kind of break those down. I'll you know wrap up with the bigger picture and how this could affect things moving forward, if it if at all. I think the main rule and the one that people are really hitting on is the fact that teams can place up to 54 players on a protected list. 45 of those players can come from their academy and nine don't have to be in their academy, but have to be in their homegrown territory. And those players can't sign a deal with another club unless there's like a trade of rights. Do I have that basically right?
1: Um, Yeah. The one thing I'd add is that, that the, that rule set is uh, applies to u 15 and above. So for U15, U17, U19 players, um, if a team has those three, if a MLS club has those three teams, they can protect 54 players, uh, 45 of them in the academy. For the academies in in MLS who only have a U15 and U17 team, they can only protect 40 players. So you lose out on five spots by not having a U19 team. Um, Yeah, so, but you got the rest of it right. And...
0: I guess, will this specifically make any difference? Or like you said, will these teams continue to operate in the same way that they do? Because this kind of protected list is a new feature. Am I right in saying that?
1: Yeah, it's a new feature. So you could basically think of uh, academies before this being fully protected, right? So you could have you had the entire anybody who's in your academy, um, assuming that they were allowed to be in your academy for in the first place, which hasn't always been the case. But assuming everything is is kosher with how the player joined the academy, they they're your player. They can't join another MLS academy without um, th- without your approval. So now that drops down to to essentially forty five. Um, I haven't talked to anybody who thinks that that is a significant difference. You know, even across, like no, there isn't an MLS team that really cares about their U nineteen team. So. You're protecting 40 40-ish players across two teams you know <laughs> anybody who's get, who has any potential to be a pro prospect is going to be protected in this so that that changes almost nothing so the the change really comes with being able to protect nine players in your homegrown area that aren't currently on your roster um, how much does that change for for most teams Um. Almost nothing. So like most MLS academies, most MLS uh, homegrown territories, they're not going to have four or five players in the U set or in the U 15, U 17 age group in their homegrown territory that they really think um, are a professional level prospect. Um, That isn't to say that that that's everywhere. Right. So the markets where this really matters are New York, LA, Chicago, uh, Dallas and DC uh, and from the people that I've talked to uh, about the rule change so far um it's it really is DC that is gonna be the market where, that sees the most change here just because DC has such a huge player base there there aren't two teams there so there's not uh, like essentially double protection of the clubs that are in 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 the city like you're like we're gonna have in New York and la and historically DC just does a really bad job at scouting their homegrown area. So like, you know, this just this offseason with with this uh rule set imminent and all everybody in MLS Academies knowing it was coming, they only just this amount, this for this upcoming MLS season really pushed into Baltimore and and signed a whole lot of players out of there. But it's that's not something that they did historically. And I think, you know, teams like Philly and the Red Bulls and you know and clubs anywhere else in the country are gonna look at DC both because it's a talent rich area and you could pull players, even if DC protects the best nine players, you could pull player 10 or player 11 out and he could be productive for your academy. But also there's a lack of belief that DC has the know-how to protect the best nine players in their homegrown territory.
0: Yeah, I guess with these new rules and I mean, also just like you said, the, you know, kind of carrying over from what the old rules are and just the infrastructures within these clubs. Would you say that clubs that are bad at scouting or bad at these youth development are good? Do you think that that could either be enhanced or like shrunken as a result of these new rules? Or do you think at the end of the day, it's going to come down to the people that these clubs have in these positions um, to make these decisions?
1: Yeah, like a a team that doesn't recruit now and isn't um, the, the team that doesn't care about their academy isn't suddenly going to start caring about their academy because of these rules. Um, even, even in DC and Chicago, there's nobody really getting excited at, about, you know, like the 10th best or the, even the the seventh best U15 prospect that that Chicago or DC haven't picked up. I mean, there are, there are certainly some teams that could use the help and add them, but uh the potential to to add value in terms of pro players is still relatively low here. The real problem here is just that you know nine nine players in your in your territory, even if it's across two age groups, is so much. Just because any any real uh, any real scouting that's being done, looking for players like oh, we're going to bring them and we're going to turn them into pro players, is being done at U thirteen, U fourteen by the time you're and no it sounds ridiculous to talk, to talk about 15 14 15 year old players like this but if Chicago, if a team is looking to bring in a 14 year old player into their academy that's that's basically like a late bloomer by youth soccer standards
0: that's interesting and like hearing those standards and like it it doesn't generally get addressed like that because you don't hear about these players until they're 17 where you know, a lot of these prospects who are really good might have another jump at 17, but at that point, they're already kind of on the radar of everyone. So you kind of don't get that, I guess, that, that indoctrination of the player from the time that they were 13 years old as a future star. That's interesting. By the way, I'm, I'm quoting a lot of this stuff, listeners, from the Athletic article that Tenorio and Stageco did, and Paul Paul and Sam know all their stuff and are incredibly connected. So go check that out for even more details and what we can offer. Um, but a lot of this I've seen revolves around kind of the trading of rights or kind of the exchange of rights. In what ways does that differ from the current system? And do you think that that will have any material impact or do you think that just kind of a necessity to give some players an out in certain
1: situations? Um, Yeah, this is kind of the thing where, where I'm not entirely clear on what type of impact it's going to have. So like, if you think about a, a player like, um, like Kaden Clark, right? Kaden Clark in uh, Minnesota's homegrown territory, uh, pr- they almost certainly would have had him as one of their nine protected players, right? Yeah, under this current system. Under the old system, New York could go to um, Minnesota and say, "Hey, we really like the player. We want to buy his rights off of you. What's it? What you know? What's it going to take?" Um, and these conversations, you know, they happen all the time. You hear about. Uh, In talking to Academy players, like, oh, man, this team wants this guy, yada, yada, that type of thing. With Caden Clark, the deal ended up being for $75,000 that Minnesota let him go. Under the new system, this new rule set, if a player is on that protected list, the potential uh, transfer, let's call it, that the amount of money that's changing hand is going to be capped at $20,000. So on one hand, it's like a simpler system where there's no uh, bargaining taking place. But if that if this system was in place, whatever, three years ago or whenever it was, Minnesota might have just have said no, like that's not enough money. Right. We're just going to keep Kanan Clark's rights and force him either to come play for us or go play in Europe.
0: Yeah, I think looking back in hindsight, I think that this rule could be the most interesting because like you said, like. The you know Caden Clark's career path could be incredibly different, right? If he stays in Minnesota, and extrapolating that out to other players and stuff is also interesting. I guess would you say that the payment and the transfer idea and kind of capping it, like you said, at twenty thousand, could lead to the biggest material difference from what we had in the past?
1: Um, it, it could be, and it and. It would largely be focused around um, like midwestern or, or smaller market teams, just paying, choosing to pay a hundred thousand, two hundred thousand dollars to to buy out some guys to to get some talent into their academy. Um, I don't necessarily think that that's going to happen, just because you know, like like I said, there. If teams wanted to find talent, there is plenty of talent to find, right? And and if you're willing to spend you know, $100,000 or, or however much to, to bring in talent, uh, you could have just paid a scout to 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 go do that for you. There's plenty of areas in the country that aren't protected by homegrown territories, and there are also plenty of teams in MLS that are fully willing to to just let you have players from their homegrown territory um, previous to these rules. So I, I I don't think that there's like a huge... Uh, change that's going to happen here because of that rule now. Okay,
0: and I guess
1: we can now move
0: along to another aspect of this: is that players who live in a homegrown territory but aren't in an academy and aren't on a protected list can just move freely. Do I have that correct?
1: Um, yeah. So if they're if if it's a player over you that's playing at U fifteen level or higher, um, they and they're not on a protected list, they can move freely as if they're not in a homegrown territory. Um, that's a a small change, I would say. Um, it's it's certainly a big change for for certain markets, but but on on the national scheme, those players were were kind of getting picked off under the previous system, anyways. Like, the bigger difference here is that that is now not the case under U fifteen. So, like, let's this year, last year, you have teams like. Sporting Kansas City, Houston, take going into markets and pulling kids out at 11, 12, 13 for their academies. And under the new rule set, you can't do that anymore. If a player is playing U14 or, or lower level soccer, they can't move um, unless it's there's a family move that's taking place with that. And MLS is is kind of vague on like what distance is allowable for for a U thirteen player to to travel, but there's not going to be players moving from El Paso to sporting the Sporting Kansas City Academy at twelve like that. That is gone in this rule set. So is that a good or a bad thing? It kind of depends on how you your um, outlook on youth soccer to begin with. If you're the kind of person who looks at a a 12-year-old moving to a residency academy without or, or or a homestay program far away from their parents for to play a game, <laughs> it's kind of like, well, this is a good rule. We're not going to take kids away from their parents anymore on the promise of potentially being a, 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 a professional soccer player. And hey, who even knows if this new place is, was a better place for him than the academy that he was in previously. But there's totally another side of that and which is why players have been being recruited this young especially over the last couple of years which is said which is to say that these these academies like what they have learned you know 10 15 years into MLS now is we need these kids in we need talented players in as soon as possible and in, in a way this is kind of a blow to some of some of the teams that were heavily recruiting um, outside of their homegrown territory beforehand in that, they're not going to be able to bring in players that young anymore. Okay. And I think because you
0: mentioned that and kind of that distinction between the older and younger age levels, we can start to expand out now and you know, all the rules that we mentioned about the 54 players and all that good stuff, like you said, applies, what was it? U 15 and up, right? So when it, as it pertains now to like the younger players, like the U 14s and below, do you think that those players are going to be negatively or positively affected as, you know, a result of these changes that are primarily focused on the older age groups?
1: Yeah, I mean, it's it's it really is hard to say. Like I'm not I I don't think instinct like my instinct would be the 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 fact that players can't move to at even if it's such a young age, the fact that players from I don't know a player from Idaho that move or Idaho is a bad example. Cause it's technically a Portland territory, but a player from Wyoming can't move to the Seattle Academy until he's four until he makes a U 15 team or he, he's 14 or 15 years old. That could be like, that's pretty debilitating to, to a, a player's professional chances. Right. Um. There's just there's just not an opportunity for some kids in some areas of the country, um, you, you know, uh, my under the age of 15. Um, but like even I should have actually stuck with the Idaho example because uh, under kids under 15 outside of if I'm re- rereading the rules that I wrote down real quickly, nothing changes for them. It's kids in MLS uh territories who are looking to move to other MLS um. Academies, so that those are the U fifteen, the I should say U fourteen players that are affected. So it will be that kid in Idaho who doesn't want to go to Portland uh, and wants to play for Austin or or Sporting Kansas City that that is going to be affected here. Um, is it is it a bigger change than um, what's happening on, on the on the higher end? Like the, the clear emphasis here is on the older players, right? They're basically just closing out the younger side of the spectrum from the rules in order to to really flesh out a a, like a pseudo transfer market for u15 and u17 players i don't it's really hard to say how something like that either of those things are really going to affect player movement and as a result the the pathway
0: yeah, I guess for you personally, because I know that you don't just watch the U15s and U17s, you go lower than that in terms of the age groups that you watch and follow. So for you personally, do you think that you're going to get more enjoyment out of these rules or not?
1: Hmm, yeah, it's, an, it's an interesting question. Uh, I think it would. I think it would be really interesting to know what players are being protected um uh, there's no shot that MLS makes those lists of protected players known so I, I don't know that it's going to impact uh who I watch all that much or, or how I watch um you know there are certainly I think that your like U12 U13 U14 teams are probably going to take a little bit of a hit and because really right now, from like an academy standpoint, the the U14 age group is where you put a team together, right? You put a team together at U14. You you say like, this is the squad. If we have to add players for U15 and U17 as they age up, we could add some players, but like this is the base squad. It's probably going to shift a little more to U15 now. There's probably going to be a little more emphasis on bringing kids in that like a year older um, just because it's it's gonna get a little bit harder to to recruit 13 year olds. but at the end of the day, like i don't I don't think even that changes so much just because like like the like the rebels, for example, right now, they're not even holding camps for 13 year olds they're it's nine to twelve, right So they have their they have their group set basically by the time they turn 13. Um, and none of the the changes on the lower end uh, for u14 players and the changes at the U 15 and u17 level probably aren't going to affect, affect any any of that all too much it's all it's all kind of minor
0: yeah yeah and because i mentioned that this uh, rule or these new rules were officially approved at the board of governors meeting over the all-star weekend but you said and you know it's clear that these rules have been a coming for some time now why how how did these rules come to be and why do you think that you know owners and you know academies felt it necessary to make this
1: change yeah i mean like there's been talk for a while about like like nobody likes homegrown rules nobody likes homegrown territories and it just it just isn't the case basically a- a- academies academy staff don't like them um, your fans don't like them, but academy territory is an asset, right? And and these MLS teams are going to be protective of them. Um, so, it, I, I was I was never of the mindset that they were going to completely do away with them. It's just from the conversations I was having, didn't seem like that was ever on the table. But um, it, it was it was clear that there was growing frustration both with ha- the way that recruiting was going. Um and how young it was going, and also frustration with the fact that uh, the the New York these like the big metro areas of the United States weren't being taken advantage of, fully taken advantage of, and that something was eventually going to come to to really give the rest of MLS a, a shot at some of those players.
0: Yeah, and I think as you mentioned, those bigger cities. I think it is worth mentioning that like at least from what I've heard and from what you seem to be saying, let me make sure I'm not getting this wrong, is that like those like Red Bull Academy and Academy, for example, let's just pick New York, that those academies will still be strong and will continue to get their players, but it'll be those other players that could be siphoned off at like kind of that U-15 threshold.
1: Uh yeah, exactly. So if you think I'm just gonna use New York as an example just because it's the it's the market that I'm the most familiar with you have like five or six they, they used to all be development Academy teams but are now a little bit more split between between the youth soccer uh, systems but you have very solid nationally competitive teams in in WB Gachi and PDA in in Jersey and Cedar Stars and Meadowville and um, there are some other other ones that I'm uh, forgetting but that's that is more teams than even both NYCFC and the Red Bulls will be able to protect, right? From, from those, from those team from those, uh, non MLS, uh, Academy teams. So if you look at market, if you look at the New York market, I think that there is totally room for, uh, a team to come in and, or a, a team or two to come in and, and snipe a couple of players that the Red Bulls or New York city were potentially interested in. Um, but but again, like the nine is a lot for you know like for U fifteen and U seventeen players. If if that number was if the number was five instead of nine or or four, and you had to choose two uh two U fifteen and two U seventeen players in your market, um, that would be interesting. I still don't think that would be a game changer in the majority of markets, but like. Anybody but the but the cities I'm mentioning have absolutely nothing to worry about. There are markets where they I, I'm fully expecting some teams to not fill that nine-player list. There is no way that Portland or Columbus or you know even Case Casey has the kind of kind of has some of the Carolinas still, so it's they're a little weird, but. Um, there are there just aren't nine U seventeen players that that have a hope you know there aren't nine U seventeen players in the Cincinnati metro area that are going to play that aren't already on FC Cincinnati that are going to play D one soccer let alone professional soccer. So uh, again again it boils down to those big those big cities something changes but there the rules are almost entirely focused around them,
0: right. Right. And I guess as we were talking about the MLS as a whole and why make this change, like, I guess for these homegrown territories and now these new rules kind of making it almost like city focused and kind of these big hubs of youth talent focused. Do you think it's just, it's an ease of access thing? Like, it's just easier to prioritize these things and that's why make the rules this way? Or do you think that they had any other kind of intent in mind? I guess I don't know why change it now. Like, it just doesn't make sense to me. (laughs)
1: Yeah, I'm not sure. Like, these changes easily could have been made two years ago. Like, the things are basically the same. I think the one thing, the, the thing that did change from, like, 2 years ago to now is that MLS team started recruiting out of market younger. So that might have been like the the straw that broke the camel's back so to say, but um I I just think that more than anything that uh there has been for the last like 5 10 years that growing frustration with the lack of of production out of the LA and New York market in terms of getting players into academies and MLS just finally got around to it. This certainly wasn't high on their priority list um i could tell you that for sure
0: yeah yeah that is interesting that is interesting i guess as we you know start to wrap up here we can just kind of expand now from these new rules and just kind of the setup in general what kind of teams are you watching because i guess on my podcast and on most mls podcasts we don't often talk about players below i don't even know even the highest um youth levels it's mainly just senior team or people who could be you know mls next pro what are some of the uh youth players that you're looking at coming up kind of the top tier of um like mls next who do you see kind of making the breakthrough in the next couple years
1: so I, i i'm a fan a big fan of esmir who got his his first start you know better than me i don't watch a ton of mls these days but for uh the revs he's I can yeah, yeah.
0: i can't, I can't uh, pronounce his last name but i heard
1: about him yeah. <laughs> yeah he's uh i went with his first name for a reason he's like a, a good good little player he's uh one of those guys who like in a in a 05 06 age group that isn't super you know they're like one of we've talked about it a lot on scuff but they're an age group who has gotten hit particularly hard by covid and kind of had the the, the U seventeen years ripped out from under them, um, so it's an age group that doesn't have a ton of pro ready guys um, that are going to break into MLS uh, like the O 2s O even to an extent O fours did, and the fact that um, Esmir got to the level doesn't surprise me because he's one of those one of those pro level pro ready types where uh, he's he's ready for the game athletically. Um, I think like Brooklyn Reigns in in Houston for a guy who he uh, he's technic his roster situation is very strange. Um if you want to like get deep into MLS roster weirdness, the Brooklyn Reigns situation is an interesting one, but basically this the basic situation is he needs to log a certain amount of hours training in Houston before he's able to be um where he's able to be rostered in MLS, he's allowed to play in Open Cup, which is I think he got a little bit of uh, some time there. But he's still kind of waiting on uh, meeting a training threshold to be able to play. And I, I expect that once he meets that threshold, he'll be he'll start to break into that team. And he, he maybe not like a super high skill cap like. Caden Clark, like he steps on the field and he, where people are immediately talking about him in uh, the national team or Olympic conversation, but uh, he's going to be a good little player. And I, I also love the, 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 the pairing of the San Jose midfielders um, with Cruz Medina and uh, Nico um, they there. It's a weird team, kind of like a weird history with, with youth players coming through, but uh if both of those guys get on the field together, I'll be, I'll be tuning in because they both have uh, national team potential.
0: Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Um, on the pod that I'm recording this interview on Wednesday. So we, we did a pod earlier, um, our normal weekly pod and our re- release this in a few days, but, um, we did mention Medina as a player and Securus, who we're excited about the earthquakes moving forward in the next couple of seasons, Basically, for that reason, because they have those young guys coming through, I'm glad you touched on them. Um, I guess as, you know we're just kind of finishing up. We talk about that this won't have any big difference, but I guess if this won't have any big difference, why make the move? Like, just why will this have any importance? Uh,
1: I I don't know that it will. It's just it's just kind of just like a paperwork thing, like where where they wanted these small changes and. Uh, and they decided to finally push through um, some action that will get it done. It, it kind of reminds me, and I would say that this is less the, the current, the rule change of, of being able to protect players in a slightly different way than before, reminds me a little bit of in the final season of the USSDA when we went, MLS pushed a tiered system. Um, so for those that don't know, the uh, the Development Academy, the predecessor to MLS Next, um it was it was regional so if you were in uh southern california whether you were uh, the san diego surf or at the la galaxy you played the same teams as if it was an mls style division Um, and then mls in around like 2015 really started to get antsy about the level of competition their players were playing against and that they basically got the same looks that Players at at the Aztecs or the other or Padiadores, the other teams in the region also got. And a few years later, the the year before the DA would eventually shut down, they managed to push through a rule change, which basically split the geographic regions into a tier of good teams and a tier of less good teams. It wasn't, it wasn't, there was politics involved. It wasn't (laughs) completely on talent, but it was this thing that. MLS was like, "Hey, we 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 should probably get around to this," and then a few years later, they got around to it, and I I think that's that's all that this is.
0: Yeah, that's interesting. Yeah, I and I think, obviously, I'm not. I don't know any of this stuff, and most people don't have that historical context. So I think, at, at bare minimum, kind of extrapolating out the why in this is based on, like you said, like those historical reasons. Yeah, that's really interesting, Matt. Thank you so much for coming on. I really appreciate it and. Kind of diving deep into all of this, uh, as we you know sign off, you can uh, go ahead and tell people where they can find more of your content because I really think it is worth looking at.
1: Yeah, so I hang out in the Scuff Discord, as do you. You could find me on Twitter. I'm sure uh, if you're listening to this podcast or you're on MLS Twitter, you'll see me around. Could give me a follow there. Subscribe to the Scuffed Patreon. Adam Bell's deserves it. Go do that
0: yeah i always uh you know talk about that whenever i can because it is awesome and like this this conversation basically came because of really smart soccer people who just care about the game talking about this stuff and that's pretty awesome so yeah subscribe to Scuffed, follow matt on twitter matt thanks so much for coming on and continue doing the hard work that it's it's the dirty work it doesn't often get shown in the light it's a lot of looking at players that will not develop but hey it's the hidden gems right (laughs)
1: <laughs> I, I, hey, I love all of it, to be honest with you. I love I love watching a player play for the, the – the I, I don't want to keep picking on Sporting Kansas City, but i <laughs> playing for the Los Angeles Galaxy U15s, and then I'm checking college rosters or, or, or the commit list a few years later, and I'm like, oh, that guy's now playing for Central, Central Utah Valley, whatever, whatever. Oh, that's fun. <laughs> yeah. So you've
0: definitely created an environment that like you can almost find your enjoyment in knowing the stuff that no one
1: else knows. <laughs> there, are, there are dozens of us. Dozens. Yeah,
0: I Dozens, but honestly there's way, way less of you guys than people who do stuff like I do. So we, re- <laughs> we really appreciate everything. Thank you so much, Matt uh, for coming on and listeners. Thank you so much. We'll be back with another weekly recap uh, probably next Wednesday or Thursday. So stay tuned to that. And until next time, enjoy life, enjoy the beautiful game and we'll see you then.